0: Welcome back to the DealMakers podcast show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Gilt. So when it comes to building wealth, taxes are such a big part of the strategy. And even if you're already filed, being proactive about this year to lower your future liability is so important. Geld actually provides a proactive approach to tax strategy, combining innovative technology and expert CPAs by creating personalized tax strategies for your unique financial needs of multiple revenue streams, MAs, restricted stocks, various investments, and more, you can keep your hard earned money our their proprietary platform ultimately gives you the full transparency of your tax management and direct communication with your CPA to reach your financial goals and grow for your wealth faster so again you know if you're interested on in this go to joingelt.com uh, and they are actually on the show notes that I'm going to be posting a very special offer for you all that you can actually enjoy so again you know join all righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DealMaker Show. So super exciting founder that we have today. You know, obviously the idea uh, came out, you know, of uh, you know his visit to Spain. So obviously I'm a little bit biased here, you know, uh, that it's an amazing idea. And, and, he, and he came from an amazing place. But we're going to be, you know, talking about building, scaling and all of that good stuff, you know, also turning fisherman towns into brewery towns, you know, with now all these fishermen, you know, like reinventing themselves too. But again, super inspiring, you know, the journey of this founder. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Matthew Roberts. Welcome to the show.
1: How's it going, Alejandra? Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, chat you through the history of uh, Cometeer and all the exciting stuff we have in our future here.
0: Originally born there in Massachusetts. So give us a little bit of a walk through memory lane. Matt, how was, how was life growing up there?
1: Uh, so I, I was born and raised in, in Ipswich, Massachusetts, which is actually just a, a few miles from where our f- facility is today. Uh, town right on the water. Um, everyone growing up in my town was a, uh, you know, Red Sox, Patriots fan, this and that. Short uh, shot from Boston. Uh, my, my father was an entrepreneur, so I think he kind of laid the groundwork for me. I always, you know, uh, w- was up to some entrepreneurial Venture during my summers in, in high school, in college, and was lucky enough to study a, a abroad in Spain during my junior year. And that really brings us to the uh, inception of Cometeer. So for all you coffee lovers out there, uh, Cometeer is a, a, a brand n- new product on the market. We're a category creator. Uh, we deliver the absolute best tasting coffee on the planet, all from a uh, single serve flash frozen capsule. There's no machine required. And uh, I know a lot of companies out there in this um, congested space say that they have the best tasting coffee. There's a lot of gimmicks, but we've actually proven scientifically that when you take a coffee bean that's roasted fresh and you grind and brew it into a liquid and then flash freeze it in a liquid format, it will preserve better than any other packaging format or processing format on the planet. So all you need to do to have the most delicious cup of coffee is melt this frozen little puck in eight ounces of hot water. But if iced coffee is your jam, it's easy to melt and mix into ice water. You can make espresso-based beverages, afogados, espresso martinis, anything under the sun, and all from this capsule that's fully made of aluminum. It's the first curbside recyclable capsule on the market as well. So that is a sweet kicker.
0: There it is, the sweet kicker. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into it you know, in just a little bit, I guess. Let's let's rewind back. So obviously, you know, like you, were, you grew up there in, in, in Massachusetts, you know, right outside of, of Boston, and, and that's all you knew. So I'm sure that, you know, going all the way across the Atlantic, you know, going there to Spain, you know, to Pamplona, where you see the bulls running and, you know, all of that good stuff. You know, I'm sure that that opened up a little bit more your worldview about things. How would you say that was the case with you?
1: Oh, I mean, well, I mean, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. So not only did I grow up in the Boston area, but I went to school in the Boston area and you have a, a lot of locals there. So for the first time ever, I was studying in a classroom with uh, students from Barcelona or Madrid, Hong Kong, folks were coming in from all over Europe. So it was great to just get a feel for not only the, the Spanish culture, but it was a, it was a, a full on melting pot uh over there and it was awesome to you know eat uh Indian food with my 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 friends that were studying a, a abroad from India. Uh the 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 pinchos or tapas in Spain were incredible. Uh the coffee culture in Spain was awesome. And actually, you know, Comateer started because I was missing my Dunkin Donuts iced coffee uh that you know I was drinking every day. In Massachusetts, and going over to Spain and getting a taste for better coffee uh, was was awesome. But on top of that, knowing that there was that void over there and you couldn't get a nice coffee, that's what that's what started the experimentations in my apartment or piso out there in Pamplona.
0: And and just for the people that are listening, I mean, when you go there to um to one of those bars and 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 and, and basically you ask for a nice coffee, what they give you is the coffee, and then basically they give you a glass with ice so that you can do it yourself. So I mean, it's all messy, then you're putting it everywhere. So, I mean, I, I totally get it. So I guess, you know, for you too, I, I think that, you know, they say that entrepreneurs are either born with it or they are all of a sudden they develop into it. I guess for you, you know, seeing your dad, you know, he already had the entrepreneurial box, so God knows, you know, perhaps you were already born with it. But I'm sure that, you know, going through the ups and downs that he experienced i'm sure that that was you know quite impactful for you and that made a difference you know in you as well
1: yeah it was it was an incredible experience to see how his company uh, evolved so he's in the automotive industry he makes capital equipment so not only is he an entrepreneur but he his his capital equipment goes into big automotive factories he builds stuff that's physical so i definitely got the bug on like on that front from him i wanted to make something tangible. And I thought I was going to go down a, a SaaS or a software route at one point in time. Um, but knowing that there was the opportunity to scale and manufacture such a unique food and beverage product, uh, it was just a, a dream come true. But watching my dad build uh, the his machines over the year and seeing how they progressed, where you know uh, uh, one machine would take up the entire manufacturing floor, uh, and was loud and was noisy and would have a let's say a capacity of 10,000 units a week in that machine going to something that was a quarter of the size that was much smaller of course uh more silent when it was operating and have an output that was 10 times that of uh his first machines it was awesome just seeing that progression and seeing him win the business of the of the Fords in the in the GMs of the world now to winning the the business of the Rivians and the Teslas out there so it's cool seeing his evolution and I'm hoping that Cometeer sees a, a similar evolution where we are putting out a better newer version a uh, year after year so that was a great experience to have a, a a father as an entrepreneur and watching him through those those turbulent times and and the ups and downs of course
0: well, that's what you get to learn the most. Uh, and I'm sure that for you, you know, that was quite a, a very inspiring, um, you know, journey to to really see what he went through as well. So I guess fast forwarding here now, you know, you find yourself in Spain, you don't see, you know, the Dunkin' Donuts. There's no Dunkin' Donuts around. You know, you can't get your ice coffee. You're getting, you know, this to do, do it yourself type of thing, which is very messy, you know, in cafeterias. So so walk us through how that idea you know, for comedy, here started to to really develop.
1: Yeah, so you know, when I I couldn't go to uh, you know the the Dunkin' Donuts or the big chain down the street and get the the the, the big gulp iced coffee, I had to start uh, making it in my apartment for the first time ever, and uh, I found it was just super challenging to first off brew a a good cup, right? And even if you made it through that process and you brewed a delicious tasting cup of coffee, you'd pour it over ice. And then it would dilute and it'd get all watered down, so you had to find that that balance of brewing the coffee well, brewing it strong enough so you could pour it over ice. So you know, even if you you brewed it and put it in the fridge overnight, it would go stale the next day. So there wasn't a uh, a simple solution to getting that that perfect iced coffee. So I came up with a clever idea when I was over there. Uh, what I was doing was brewing a a super rich pot of coffee, something that was you know, three or four times stronger than a normal cup. I'd freeze that pot into little ice chips. And then I'd package those ice chips with larger ice cubes that were made of coffee that was less potent of a drinking consistency. So when I wanted a quick iced coffee in the morning, I could grab this mixture of ice cubes, add water to them. The small ice cubes would melt fast because of their surface area uh, to volume ratio and bring the drink up to a nice consistency. And the large ice cubes, would keep the, the beverage cold without diluting it. So it was just a clever idea for a just add water iced coffee. And, you know, if you think about when I had this idea, this was this was about 10 years ago at this point in time. This was before everyone had a cold brew on the market. And the only real ready-to-drink product out there was the Frappuccino that was being produced by Pepsi and Starbucks in that North American coffee partnership. So you know, the, the idea for Cometeer started with just a solve for my direct need. But as I continued to poke at the concept and share the prototypes with friends, I realized that there was an opportunity here because that that quick, convenient iced coffee market was underserved at the time.
0: So then what happened next when you are like now all of a sudden, hey, I think I got something here. You returned back to the U.S. And now yeah, you're starting so- to test things out. I mean, how do you how do you bring it to life?
1: Yeah, so uh, it, it wasn't my primary focus at first. I was focused on a on an enterprise software, but I kept showing more and more people the prototypes. Everyone commented that they wish they could buy the product, and I and I actually got lucky from a networking standpoint, and I ended up meeting uh, an entrepreneur named George Howell, who actually sold the Frappuccino uh, beverage recipe and trademark to Starbucks. Back in the day, he had one of the largest coffee chains on the East Coast. He was a very successful entrepreneur in the space and I ended up bugging him uh enough so that he would he took a meeting with me and I showed him uh my first prototypes right and he took a sip and I thought uh, he was going to say like "Wow, this is incredible let's call up starbucks let's let's call everyone in my in my phone book but he he took a sip and practically spit out the coffee uh I didn't know George is, is seen as the godfather of specialty coffee. So even though he's known for the sweet, delicious drink, he wants to be known for the work that he's doing uh, at the at the origin. Uh, his work with farmers. He 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 founded this group called the Cup of Excellence. He's helping farmers get paid top dollars for their beans. So he threw his arm around me and said, "Kid, this this coffee is horrible, but let me let me share a great cup of coffee with you." And he brewed me a single origin coffee from the Barboya region of Ethiopia. It was the most delicious coffee I'd ever had in my life. He explained the flaws of the coffee supply chain to me and how difficult it was to actually deliver a cup of coffee as delicious as he shared. And honestly, after I took one sip, wow, Like this coffee had all of these juicy, uh, nutty notes to it that I'd never tasted in my Dunkin' Donuts. And I thought, Wow, if I can merge the quality of this cup with the convenience of melting an ice cube, then there's really something here. Now, I was a big craft beer drinker in college, so I really enjoy the nuance of something that has a little bit more complexity to it. And I saw how that market has really exploded over the last 15 years. Craft beer represents 27% of dollar sales, and I knew that specialty coffee had that potential. So it became my mission to see, could I combine the quality with the convenience of melting an ice cube? And working with George, we discovered that, in fact, you could capture that freshly brewed flavor by flash freezing the coffee. So I went into his facility one day. His barista pulled a perfect shot of coffee. I flash froze that coffee between two blocks of dry ice. And then I brought it back six months later and melted it down in front of his entire sensory team. And everyone was blown away that the coffee was brewed six months prior. It tasted like it was freshly roasted, ground and brewed that day. And we actually held on to some of the beans that we had used to make the samples, and those were aged and cracked. So the whole bean format wasn't even close to maintaining the freshness that we were able to capture with this flash frozen method.
0: So what do you mean with flash the coffee or the shot of coffee? How, what does that process look like?
1: Yeah. So, so back in the day when, you know, before I had access to uh liquid nitrogen, I was buying dry ice. Dry ice is negative 109 degrees Fahrenheit. So you could brew uh, a cup of coffee, put it into ice trays, you know, stack the dry ice blocks, um, over the ice trays and the coffee would freeze in about five minutes. If you took hot coffee and you put it into a freezer, it would take about three hours. And George told me, Hey, that's not, that's not fast enough. I don't drink a cup of coffee that's been left out for longer than 20 minutes. Now, here at Cometeer in our scaled facility, we have a 15,000-gallon tank of liquid nitrogen hooked up to our building, and we actually brew the coffee, rapidly chill it, and then dunk our capsules in liquid nitrogen, which is negative 321 degrees. So that coffee freezes instantly. There's no exposure to oxygen. And just like anything on this planet, right, if you freeze it, at its peak fresh, it'll maintain that freshness. So a lot of people don't know that a lot of the best sushi uh, being served at some of the highest end restaurants, that fish is actually flash frozen on the boat and kept frozen until it's brought into land.
0: Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Tech Domain. So I mean, obviously, if you're a startup or an entrepreneur, you got to be super careful on how you go about your presence and how you get the catchy domain. And that's why I recommend .tech domains as the go-to place to really get your own domain. A good example here is Aurora.tech, which is an innovative brand that has the .tech domain associated to it. Aurora.tech actually works at the intersection of rigorous engineering to address one of the most challenging issues of our generation, which is transforming the way that people and goods move. It is set to launch Horizon. This is Aurora's first autonomous service that's designed to bring safety value and efficiency to carriers and fleet owners. I've actually arranged an amazing deal for all of you, and that is you can get your one-year domain for $10 or a five-year domain for $50. Just go to go.tech forward slash dealmakers, and that's again go.tech forward slash dealmakers to get your own. So then I guess eh, once once you were able to really prove that the flavor and the taste was there, there was obviously, you know, validation on the way that you have thought about this process. So what happened next?
1: Yeah, so so it was great to get that sensory validation from the from the pros, right? And we we didn't have enough money to go and run a scientific study. So later on, we've scientifically validated that we could capture that freshness. But ultimately our our challenge then became okay, how how do I brew coffee at scale, as well as George's Barista. So, you know, hundreds of pounds of coffee, precision brewed. And how do I do that using one tenth of the water? So we we ship out uh, a, a coffee that is 10 times stronger than a normal cup, right? And we don't brew coffee and then remove water or concentrate it or superheat it because then you end up pulling out a lot of the aromas and in in flavor compounds that make coffee so special so our challenge wasn't just brewing incredible coffee at scale but doing it with far less water um a lot of my family members are engineers i'm not an engineer so i needed to find some some technical co-founders that could help me develop this industrial coffee extraction equipment so i uh i did some patent searches i started networking And I was lucky enough to partner with three technical co-founders, right? One was actually an industrial coffee uh, engineer. His name is Paul Kalenian, and he had a successful exit in the past. He sold his first coffee extraction business to Kerry Foods. The second was uh, a a boomerang employee at Keurig. He did a couple stints there and also worked uh, on a flash freeze ice cream kiosk machine called Mubella. Um, Mubella was a startup, so we had the right mix of startup, coffee, and flash freeze experience. And then the last co-founder, his name is Doug Hoon. He's still our CTO here. He was the best athlete that came in, learned from our other engineers, learned from this world-class chemist that we brought in. And he really reinvented the wheel uh, when it comes to how we think about dissolving a coffee bean into water, which is the process of of brewing it. Um, So just through Um, Like rapid iteration and trial, and getting our hands dirty throughout the years, we were able to build um, coffee brewing technology that is more precise than anything else on the planet. Our machine, it looks like a a rocket ship. There's over a thousand unique sensors and valves to perfectly brew every bean that we get in the door here.
0: So, now I guess, uh, you know, for the people that are listening too, I mean, you guys have raised, you know, a little bit of money. How much money have you guys raised today?
1: Yeah, so we've raised uh, uh, over a hundred million dollars uh, across our seed, Series A, and Series B round.
0: And how has it been the uh, journey of really raising, you know, all this money? Because I know that especially at the beginning, during the seed round, it was not easy. Oh,
1: uh, c- certainly, uh, it-, it was not easy. I mean, um, I was I was twenty three when the company was founded, and. Uh, my technical co-founders were actually in their 50s and 60s. So when I would go out, you know, and, and try to raise with with Doug for this frozen coffee business in, in Boston, I mean, we were we were Donkey and Shrek uh, trying to navigate our way through Silicon Valley. Uh, so what we did is we started close to home, right? And I think entrepreneurs always get tripped up on whether or not raising from friends and family is a good sign. Does that look professional? And when you're just starting out and you don't have the credibility, like your friends and family are the people that know you the best. If they're not investing in you, then no one will. So we started with a little bit of money from friends and family. Paul had sold his business and had that successful exit to carry food. So he was able to tap his network a bit more and bring in some capital. So we got just enough breathing room from friends and family to then go out and raise from coffee professionals the tech investors didn't really understand our product at the beginning professional investors it was too early for them but we were lucky and we were able to network through and get 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 and get in touch with the founder of Keurig green mountain i actually sent a cold linkedin message to his son i got in touch with the family office we shipped coffee down to them during a family holiday and they tasted our product next to the K-Cup, which, you know, obviously they, they, they made a very successful investment uh, buying Keurig back in the day and putting it out on the public exchange. So they were the ones that came in and and financed the business and gave us more breathing room. Next came the former president of Nespresso, who tried one sip of the product and committed to investing that day and asked to sit on our board of directors. We got the former R and D director at Starbucks. So once we got in the, the coffee folks, the people who know what a home running coffee looks like, then all of a sudden we started to attract uh interest from uh, tech investors uh in other institutions.
0: And how have you seen, you know, the um I guess I guess the 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 experience of going from one financing cycle to the next, how has that you know journey gone and and the expectations how have they shifted because obviously here what you were saying is, hey, it took us a little bit you know with friends and family to get the ball rolling all of a sudden you know we get this family office to jump in, so then we have that signaling going and then what what happened next? How did you experience next things after that?
1: yeah well certainly when you're raising seed capital you you cast a big net there's a lot of rejection right so during the seed round i mean maybe one out of every four one out of every five investors uh were actually writing checks in the in the early days once we started hitting our milestones uh more and more investors started coming in and all of a sudden it went from one out of five to you know four out of five because of our process so you know, you just need to deal with rejection when you're raising a seed round. More people will say no. And you know what? If everyone says yes, and you're probably not priced correctly. So you cast a wide net in the, in the seed round, and you just need to keep your company afloat, and you need to make progress against your milestones. Uh, raising a Series A or a Series B round is a bit different, right? Because you need much uh, larger checks. You don't have all the time in the world to go out and meet with every fund. So you really need to do more diligence up front. Uh, and it's more like uh, spearfishing, right? You need to find the right four or five funds to court. It doesn't happen overnight. Typically, what you do is you meet with a fund, you get them interested, you let them know what you're going to accomplish over the next six months or 12 months, and then you need to execute. No one's going to invest right after the first pitch. They want to see what your goals are. How are you de-risking the business in the near term? And if you show that track record of execution, that's when people will actually start releasing checks into the business. So you know, when you meet a Series A investor, maybe not in 2020 or 2021 when things were wild, but typically when you meet an investor, you should expect six to nine months before you see any amount of money uh, hitting your bank account.
0: Now, one thing that was very interesting here is that you took advantage too of where you're at, because it was a you know a town for fishermen, and they, I guess you know like they were also used to perhaps you know freezing fish, and you know perhaps they had the technologies, the logistics, things like that. So you've been able to really capitalize on that, and 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 really you know turn it upside down, and 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 kind of like make a shift there on on how you know labor and and resources were used in in the area. So, so tell us a little bit about this.
1: Yeah. So um, Gloucester, Massachusetts is, is well known for being a fishing town across the U S the listeners out there. You may have seen the uh, the movie, the perfect storm, Uh, the, uh, the show uh, the wicked tuna is filmed in Gloucester. And there was a movie called Coda that Apple TV released a while back. I, I believe it won an Academy award. So it's known as a fishing town. Uh, but back in the day, every coastal town in Massachusetts was a fishing town, and Gloucester really became a hub for fishermen when this inventor, Clarence Birdseye, returned back from a, a trip studying an Inuit tribe up in northern Canada uh, in the 1920s. So he realized while he was up there that he was eating the best fish of his life, because when you pull fish out of the water up in northern Canada in the wintertime, the negative four 40-degree wind chill would freeze that fish immediately. So he designed and patented the first flash freeze conveyors ever built. He, he headquartered his business in, in Gloucester, Massachusetts, and every fisherman along the coast of Massachusetts wanted to move in Gloucester because Birdseye was the only, only guy who was always buying fish. Why? Because he could buy the fish and flash freeze it and preserve it when everyone else was throwing the fish on ice and the, ice, or the, and the fish had a very uh, short shelf life. Um, so when we were looking to scale up our tech, it would have been very expensive to go out and build a factory from scratch, right? Not only that, but it would have taken two, three, maybe four years because we were hit with a pandemic right after you know uh, we had scouted a, a building. If we had to build a factory during a pandemic, it would have been delayed forever. So we needed to find a manufacturing site that had a large floor, right? But also had a large freezer attached to it. And we found a beautiful site in Gloucester Seventy thousand square feet. The freezer is about twenty-five thousand square feet, so it's perfect for what we need. And yeah, we have been taking a lot of fishermen and folks who have worked in the fishing industry into our plant, who enjoy seeing kind of lightning strike twice here in Gloucester. This is where the flash freeze revolution started, and we're bringing a, a next wave of flash freeze technology up here to the to the city. So it's been a, it's been a blast. Building the factory out right here, where there's so much history and tradition in the space, and uh, also it's close to home for me. Ipswich is just, uh, you know, about uh, 20 minutes away by car, uh, five minutes away by boat.
0: So I guess uh, one thing that comes to mind here is, you know, what a journey, no? And uh, obviously we're talking about the present. We've talked about where you guys are coming from, but I want to talk about where things are heading, because I mean, you guys have raised quite a bit of money, and 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 when you share. Obviously, your vision with these people. I mean, as you were saying, typically six to nine months. It's really getting them, you know, excited about the future that you're living into, no? know, and uh, getting them that, with that alignment to jump on board and write, you know, things with you. So, if you were to go to sleep tonight, Matt, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Committee is fully realized, what does that world look like?
1: Yeah. So that 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 is a that is a world while, where everyone's starting their day walking over to their freezer instead of to the cupboard to, to grab their their coffee beans. Um, that's a world where you're seeing freezers in the coffee aisle, right? That is a, a, a world where you may have a, a machine on your countertop that's designed to melt and dilute rather than brew coffee. So we, we do feel like uh, we're one of uh, only a, a handful of category creators. In in food and beverage, and there will be a ripple effect that doesn't end over the next five years or ten years. We want to continue innovating as well. So maybe right next to your frozen coffee capsule, there is a capsule that has a freshly squeezed juice that is flash frozen, freshly brewed tea that is flash frozen as well. That actually tastes better than what you buy on the store shelves or even out of the refrigerator refrigerator in a grocery store because flash freezing does just stop the clock. On deterioration, I'm hoping that we're at the point where people can pronounce our company name right as well, uh, comma which often is messed up. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's what we're hoping for is kind of those those massive disruptive changes. Um, and right now, you know, we're starting to see our vision come true. So, in Sprouts Farmers Market, for example, in California, you will see ten freezers stashed right in the middle of the coffee aisle there. And we're expanding our footprint there. Um, In in food service, right, there's a a dramatic impact we can make. It's so hard to get a great cup of coffee uh, because brewing coffee is really difficult, but melting is easy. So I think on the food service front, you'll see a lot of folks preparing single origin coffees um, from behind the counter. People will hopefully look at coffee more similarly to wine because now you can enjoy the good stuff and you don't need to turn your kitchen into a science fair to get the good stuff, so I'm hoping that we have a uh, we make a massive positive impact on the space in general, and one thing that certainly keeps us going is we know that we'll have um, a, a, a very positive uh, impact on on farmers uh, right now, you know a coffee bean really loses its identity throughout the supply chain, but if Cometeer can can work with our roasters so that we can preserve that nuance. Uh, in a a specific coffee bean and preserve it through uh, the brewing step and the distribution step so that customers can actually taste the difference. And we're hoping more and more dollars will flow back to the farmers. They can invest in unique processing methods. They can invest in quality and coffee will get better and better for years to come.
0: Amazing. Now, let's talk about the past, but doing it with a lens of reflection let's say I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time to that moment where maybe you were in Spain. You were sitting at one of those bars and, you know, having some amazing tapas, maybe having a paella or, you know, God knows. And then, you know, you have the opportunity of sitting down right right next to that, uh, you know, younger man. And you're able to give that younger man one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: Yeah, so um I think the 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 one piece of advice I would I would give my uh my past self is just really double down on the people and the talent, right? Cuz at the end of the day when when you're a CEO, uh you can do everything in the early days, right? You have enough time, you're you're running in every single direction, but at the end of the day when companies scale, Um, you're really responsible for developing the strategy uh, in the vision, clearly communicating that, and then making sure that you hire and empower the right people to execute against that strategy, right? And your job is really making sure that those folks have the resources they need to be successful. So um, taking more time with uh, hiring decisions, right? Meeting more candidates, the importance of back, back channel uh, references, all of that is super important because at the end of the day, if your company is going to, to reach its full potential, you're not doing everything. You have someone who's 10 times better than you doing every specific task at the company. So just doubling down on the people and the talent you bring in. And I was lucky to find some incredible co-founders and early people to join me on this journey. Right? So I got lucky there. But, you know, it's one wrong hire, two two bad hires, not getting the right people in the door and empowering your people, that's where companies can can get shaky and where your vision might not reach its full potential.
0: Very profound. So Matt, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: Uh you can uh you know, uh ping me on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find. Uh Or you can uh, uh, ping me at uh, Matt at Cometeer.com. If you're interested in in trying our product, uh, you can go to Cometeer, that's dot com. We ship the product all over the U.S., frozen right to your door. Uh, Hopefully everyone uh, enjoys a a delicious cup that's listening and gives gives the product a try.
0: Amazing. Well, hey, Matthew, thank you so much for being on the show today. It has been an honor to have you with us.